part of the Finsider.com and the SB Nation Network. And now, your host, Matthew Kanata, joined by co-hosts Josh Houts and Aaron Sutton. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to Finsider Radio. This is Matthew Kanata. I'm here joined by Aaron Sutton and Joshua Houts. The Miami Dolphins set to head into their offseason and set to hire their next head coach as they have finished their meeting with Brian Flores, their second meeting, and are laying out the staff of the future for this year's Miami Dolphins and beyond. Brian Flores will be taking the head coaching job very soon after the Super Bowl on February 3rd, which is the Sunday of the Super Bowl, February 4th, probably not February 5th or 6th. You can expect an announcement from the Miami Dolphins that Brian Flores from the New England Patriots is your next head coach. They met with Brian Flores on Wednesday evening up in Foxborough. Chris Greer left the Senior Bowl to fly up to lay out plans for the future and to get things moving in the right direction. No surprises. Leaks coming out on Thursday about who the offensive coordinator will be in Chad O'Shea, the current wide receivers coach for the New England Patriots. We're going to touch on Chad O'Shea and talk about who he is. We're also going to talk about the defensive coordinator, Patrick Graham, for the Green Bay Packers. He will be coming over. Jim Caldwell will be coming over as a senior offensive assistant and assistant or associate head coach. One of those two. And other names are flying out already. Brett Bielema, possibly a defensive staff consultant. We're not totally sure on that. Darren Rizzi, rumored to be coming back. We'll see if that happens. Eric Studsville, another one rumored from, uh, I believe it was C.K. Parrott, Chris Kaufman, or Alfredo Ortega. I'm not quite sure. I can't remember off the top of my head which one it was, but for three yards per carry, they discussed that on their most recent episode. So, boys, Sutton and Houts, the Dolphins look like they have their core staff set for the future. Meanwhile, Adam Gase up in New York is pilfering the Dolphins staff currently and getting the gang back together despite having the 31st-ranked offense in the NFL. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again. Dolphins are headed in a new direction. Jets look like they're headed down an ugly path. Sun and Houts, your reaction, your thoughts coming after NFC and AFC championship games this past week and controversy all over the place leading into the Pro Bowl this weekend, the Senior Bowl this weekend, and then, of course, the Super Bowl. But how is your view of the NFL looking like right now, Houts? Yeah, for me, I mean, this is awesome. We've, we finally get to see the Dolphins found their guy. They're bringing in Brian Flores, it seems. And I think a lot of us, you know, we were kind of skeptical on him. You come from that New England coaching tree. But I think the three of us kind of talked it out on the podcast. We kind of came to conclusion and kind of got a little bit excited for Brian, Brian Flores. Kanata was on that from the beginning. So it's exciting to see, you know, he wants to be in Miami. That's pretty big because I remember Nick Cesaro, the GM up there, he didn't want to come down here and be with the Dolphins. You know, he didn't want to make that jump. You got Brian Flores here. He's, he's young. He's making that jump. And you can see us. Coaching staff start to assemble. You know, Patrick Graham, we're going to discuss him. Chad O'Shea, like you said, I mean, that was the guy who was supposed to be the predecessor to, to Josh McDaniel there in New England. So, I mean, he's starting to assemble a pretty awesome staff, and I think a lot of us could agree that might have been Adam Gase's biggest downfall. I just can't wait to see what happens next year when the New York Dolphins take on the Miami Patriots. It's going to be one hell of a game. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, as far as – uh, Dal Loggins and Adam Gase and everybody getting back together over there in New York. Have fun with that, to be honest with you. But to have both those games, 
the conference championship games go to overtime was so unusual just in and of itself, but then how some of those games ended up turning out. So we'll talk about some refereeing, I'm sure, here in a little bit and discuss how we feel about overtime. And I might have a contrarian view than a lot of people are feeling right now. Yeah, we will touch on the overtime topic later on in the show. But right now, I do want to focus on the coaching staff of the Miami Dolphins, what we're going to be getting in the very near future. Brian Flores will be taking this job. He's not going to pull a Josh McDaniels. If he does, it's going to be an even bigger surprise than Josh McDaniels pulling it himself last year. Everyone is expecting Brian Flores to follow through. There's no reason to believe that he won't follow through. There's no second thoughts. There's no cold feet. They are deep into the planning process. He has his coaching staff set, and this is what it's going to be. Now, before I do that, I know there was talk about Chris Richard, and a lot of people had Chris Richard as the leading target. Uh, we had mentioned something on it as well. As I mentioned on last week's podcast, early in that week, middle of that week, by Wednesday the latest, I had landed on the fact that Brian Flores was the leading candidate. I could not report it, though, due to my source not wanting me to say anything. And then I was able to confirm it with two other sources, which gave me the green light to go forward and move forward with that information. So going back to Chris Richard, Omar Kelly today, the Sun Sentinel, said that he was talking to people at the Senior Bowl. And the reason why the Dolphins went with uh, Brian Flores over Chris Richard is because Chris Richard is a little too emotional. And we all saw the passion that he brings on all the video that we watched of him. And if you read any sports psychology, if you just it's just common sense, right? If someone is that emotional on you every single day, just think of your boss at work and whatever you do in your life. If your boss is that crazy and that passionate and that emotional on you every single day, all hours of the day, basically, and then in crunch time really ticks it up a notch, it's going to wear on you. It's going to push the right buttons for some, but not all. And it's not going to work for everyone. Meanwhile, Brian Flores, the Dolphins like that he's calm, cool, and collected. He doesn't get too high. He doesn't get too low, which is what you really want in your NFL head coach, to be all honest. Um, you don't want a guy that's going to be up and down all over the place and let the game control your emotions. Um, I, I think Chris Richard may be a good head coach in the NFL, but I, I do think that passion that he brings needs to be reined in a little bit in order for him to be successful uh, as the leader of a team. The other reason why Omar Kelly said that it's Brian Flores' job is because he presented a better coaching staff to the Dolphins. And we saw that with Jim Caldwell, who he said was the main reason the Dolphins went with uh, Brian Flores over Chris Richard when comparing the two coaching staffs. When you bring in a guy like Jim Caldwell, who's been to the Super Bowl, who's won the Super Bowl, who's coached legends like Peyton Manning, who's had success in Detroit, even though his final record doesn't really show it. If you really dig down deep inside, you'll notice that he had, did have success with Matthew Stafford, who played arguably his best football in his career under Jim Caldwell. Jim Caldwell will be, will be a great sounding board for Brian Flores, will be a great mentor for Brian Flores, and will also be a great mentor for the new offensive coordinator, Chad O'Shea, who's coming from the Patriots, who's the wide receivers coach. We've talked about Brian Flores ad nauseum, and you guys all know about him already. So we're going to kind of skip over that. We're going to go right to Chad O'Shea. Chad O'Shea has been coaching since 1996. He started off with Houston at the University of Houston um, as a graduate assistant, then went on in 2000, four years later, to Southern Mississippi as a special teams coach, went to the Kansas City Chiefs in 2003 as a volunteer assistant, worked his way up to an assistant special teams coach in 2004, went to the Vikings in 2006 as an offensive assistant, worked his way up in 2007, became a wide receivers coach, 2008, 
offensive assistant, wide receivers coach, and assistant special teams coach. And then finally in 2009, the wide receivers coach for the New England Patriots. Two Super Bowls under his belt with the Patriots. Some might say that why didn't Patrick Graham get an offensive coordinator job previously? Why has he been around the Patriots so long? And I think the simple answer is this. He was set to be promoted as the offensive coordinator once Josh McDaniels had taken the job with the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, the succession plan was in place. It was all laid out. It was all set in stone. So if you're coming back and saying, well, he didn't get a coaching job last offseason in terms of a promotion, well, that's because he was staying around the Patriots thinking McDaniels will be leaving. By that time, after McDaniels turned everything down and, and walked away, all the offensive coordinator spots were pretty much filled. So he was stuck in New England for another year. But Belichick handpicked um, Chad O'Shea to come to the Patriots while he was with the Vikings, asked him to interview with him, and then was going to put him in Josh McDaniels' place. Now, McDaniels is supposedly the head coach in waiting in New England, and so Chad O'Shea is never going to get the kind of control that he wants as an offensive coordinator if he's working under Josh McDaniels for the very near future and beyond. Coming to Miami, he's going to have full autonomy over the offense, basically, with Jim Caldwell as his mentor. Chad O'Shea is a guy who's going to come who's very well respected within the Patriots organization. Josh McDaniels said in an interview recently to the media uh, when he was talking about Chad O'Shea, he said this, Chad's unbelievable. He's incredibly responsible for any and all of our success in the red zone. He does a lot of that work and prepares us well for that situa situation in the game. Sutton, how it's your early thoughts on Chad O'Shea? Sutton, we'll start with you. What do you think the Dolphins are getting with a guy like Chad O'Shea? I think we'll see some overlap from what we've seen from the New England offenses. Obviously, that's <clears throat> in his lifeline. So what we can expect to see, and this will jive with who we're going to have returning in the wide receiver core, is that New England is able to scheme their guys open with motion, with pseudo pick plays, with getting their guys like James White and Julian Edelman, getting those guys matched up on linebackers and getting them in space. They get separation. Even guys like Chris Hogan, they they're just seem to be able to get consistent production out of guys that on other teams may not be able to put up that kind of production. So you would expect to see the ball spread around. I think that's going to be an, an overall philosophy is getting the ball in into a lot of different playmakers hands. So uh, like you mentioned, when Josh McDaniels was going to go to Indianapolis, Chad O'Shea was going to be promoted to offensive coordinator for, for New England. So you have to like the internal confidence that they had in Chad O'Shea for, for him to come over and and join us and and you know and take that promotion i think that's a an important catapult in his career and hopefully uh, like i said he's able to jive with the wide receiver groups that we have and are able to uh make it kind of fun to watch next year yeah what he's done with that group up there in new england for the last you know eight seasons i mean it's impressive and he, he's had success around the league and like you both have mentioned, he was that guy that was going to take over for Josh McDaniels when he was going to Indianapolis. Obviously, he, you know, bailed on him. But this is a guy that's highly respected. He's been with the New England organization, just like Brian Flores, for quite some time. And, I mean, I, I think he's been blocked previously on different coaching opportunities such as this. But for some reason, for some reason, Belichick respects Flores a little bit 
too much. And, you know, he's letting him go out there and get his guys. And, and I'm excited to see what this guy brings. This offense is going to look exactly like New England's. I mean, make no mistake about it. But it's going to be interesting to see what he can get out of some, you know, we got some talented receivers down here. Kenny Stills, what he could do with the Jakeem Grant. I mean, he, he has these guys, Albert Wilson. I mean, there are these guys who in a New England offense. I mean, that's going to be fun to watch. Uh, I, I just hope it works out. And I hope, you know, I think this guy's going to be a head coach in the NFL sooner than later. So how many good seasons is he going to have in Miami? That's yet to be determined, but having Jim Caldwell kind of hang above him, you know, keep that offense intact. I mean, that's something that's going to work in our advantage for the longevity of this team. And an interesting time to bring in Jim Caldwell. And I don't know that any of us expected Brian Flores to bring in these types of guys with these resumes at this point. So I, I've been pretty impressed with the collection of coaches that he's he's gotten so far. But Jim Caldwell and his work with quarterbacks, I think that's his M.O. in the National Football League. So an interesting time to bring Jim Caldwell in when we're supposedly waiting a year to go uh, get our quarterback in 2020. But nonetheless, uh, it's not just about Chad O'Shea. It's going to be Chad O'Shea and Jim Caldwell working in tandem uh, making sure that we're we're getting all of our installs, getting the core principles in place, getting all the termino- terminology, uh, getting everybody on the same page and going from there. I think what Brian Flores is doing with his coaching staff is very good. I also think that, you know, you touched on Bill Belichick is letting his assistants go, which is a little bit fishy. Uh, the cynic in me says that Bill Belichick knows they're not going to be successful. So who cares if they stay? Dude has accomplished so much in the NFL he is, and I hate to say this, but the greatest coach in the history of the NFL. Um, I, I, I hate to say that again, but it, it's just the facts. Uh, you have to show respect where it's due. But the one thing that is tarnished on his legacy is the fact that his coaching tree is not very successful. So I, I think if you know he saw potential in these guys and would probably try to talk them into staying and learning under him, which brings us to my next point. Jay Glazer reported on Thursday earlier, he said that I can see Tom Brady and Bill Belichick retiring together if they beat the Rams in the Super Bowl. We've talked about this on our show, and I've tweeted it, and we've all tweeted it. And I've said if this meant the Patriots winning in the Super Bowl this year, if it meant Brady and Belichick retire, I will be the biggest Patriots fan there is. And I think that's huge. And, you know, if if he's letting Brian Flores go, which he is, and all reports are that he's letting Chad O'Shea go, and there's rumors out there that he might let uh, Brett Belima go. And then that might be the end of Bill Belichick in New England. He might be preparing for his exit after this season. We'll have to see how that plays out. But you're right, son. Jim Caldwell coming in, and people have been saying that, okay, Chad O'Shea never called plays. That's overrated to me. It's about how you can create an offense, how you can scheme, how you can work together with, with your guys. And Jim Caldwell will be there to mentor Chad O'Shea, so I have no reservations about that moving over to the other side of the ball Patrick Graham is coming in who has not been a defensive coordinator before currently he is the linebackers coach for the Green Bay Packers he is also the run game coordinator um, correction inside linebackers coach not even the whole linebackers crew so he's going to be making a huge jump right from inside linebackers coach to all the way to the top defensive coordinator interesting enough Brian Flores is also the linebackers coach in New England the defensive play caller the de facto defensive coordinator so you're getting it two guys with a linebacker background moving up to the Dolphins and two of the top roles on the team. So keep an eye on that as you look at how the Dolphins will be utilizing their linebackers. I think the linebacker position might play a big role on this team moving forward. Patrick Graham started coaching at Wagner. 
2002, moved his way up. Uh, Richmond, Notre Dame, started with the Patriots in 2009. Defensive coaching st- uh, assistant, linebackers coach in 2011, 2012, 2013. 2014, 2015, moved to the Giants, then the Packers, and now moving to the Dolphins. He is a Super Bowl champion as well. Sutton House, I know you guys have been researching Patrick Graham a lot. So what do you have to say? What is he bringing to the Miami Dolphins? First, I just want to say happy birthday to him because today's his birthday. It says he's 40 years old. So Happy birthday, Patrick. If happy you're birthday, Patrick Graham. You're one of us. Fins up. Uh, but honestly, just looking through it, I mean, the thing that stands out the most is the time he spent with the New England Patriots. Defensive coaching assistant, defensive assistant coach, linebackers coach, defensive line, linebackers, defensive line. I mean, he was with New England for what appears to be a good a good six or seven years. And I mean, that's where these two have familiarity with each other. And it's going to be exciting to see because the linebackers in Green Bay, by all accounts, in my opinion, I think, have played pretty well over the last few years. So, I mean, he obviously has been a successful, you know, coach at different positions, but what's he going to do when he gets to call the plays? If Flores, you know, trust him to do so, it's going to be very interesting to see, but I'm excited to, that, you know, we've seen these Dolphins try to rebuild so many years and they never kind of took on that uh, makeup of the New England Patriots, who by all accounts is probably the greatest dynasty in sports history as disgusting as that is to say but i mean to see us sitting here and try to mold into you know a team like that that's had success and sustained it for so many years it's exciting so i'm excited to see what patrick graham can do o'shea i mean bellama if they bring him in i mean you hope that they they bring in these guys and we can get success because it's something that we've wanted for many many years from Waterbury, Connecticut, just a hop, skip, and a jump from our own Matthew Canada. That is a hop, skip, and a jump. And Waterbury might also ring a bell for a few other people. It was the uh, Waterbury Open where Happy Gilmore did win about 28 years ago. But like you said, how it's Patrick Graham has been kind of alternating between being a linebacker or defensive line coach for, for several years. And when you pair that with Flores' background, yeah, he has the linebacker acumen, but he's also worked with safeties and different rungs of the defense and scouting and everything. So those two working together, I think it's going to be really cool. And the fact that, uh, you know, Patrick Graham went to Yale, Brian Flores was an all-academic team at Boston College, so I'm sure you'll see some reports when everything is made official about the color of these guys' skin. And, yeah, that's a a cool advancement for the Miami Dolphins. But these gentlemen are absolutely qualified to be doing what they're doing. And I'm really excited to see what they can do with some of these young pieces on defense. Now, and and with Brett Bielema, you know, he, he has mostly college background other than this one year consulting with the New England Patriots. But if he ends up working with these guys, then you have somebody who has studied under Hayden Fry and Kirk Ferentz and college coaches that actually give a crap about playing defense, Bill Snyder, Barry Alvarez. So these guys, I think working together could really come up with some cool defensive principles for our scheme. The Dolphins working to bring guys in that have the same philosophy with coaching and scouting as well, bringing in Marvin Allen as the assistant general manager with Chris Greer. All these guys are going to be thinking the same way, which is very encouraging. It looks like the Dolphins are finally going to have a team where everyone's in cohesion with each other and working together to build this the right way. Now, we all know the honeymoon period lasts only so long, 
So we'll see when adversity hits, but I think the Dolphins are getting the right guys in place. Steven Ross has set up the right structure with Chris Greer being the direct report to Ross and then everyone else reporting to him. Uh, I, I like it. I do like it. I like Joe Philbin. I think, I think I did like the hire, but there are always questions with him coming in under Ireland. There are always questions with Adam Gase coming in with the power structure that was in place there. When you have the head coach reporting straight to the owner and the general manager reporting straight to the owner, the vice president of football operations reporting straight to the owner, it doesn't set up a good structure in place. It's all set up for failure. But going back to my point about everyone thinking the same way to build this the right way, there was a rumor that came out on Thursday afternoon from uh, Jason Cole of Fansided that said Le'Veon Bell has been telling people, or not him himself, but his agent, that he prefers to sign with the Miami Dolphins in free agency. On the surface, you're like, that's great. When you dig a little deeper, you're like, okay, hold on a second. I'm not really sure if signing Le'Veon Bell is the right idea. Houts, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, you can look at this and there are several things that you can't like about the thing. I mean, Le'Veon Bell, he's a great player. He's probably a top running back in the NFL. He sat out the year. We all know the story there with Pittsburgh. But, I mean, right now Miami has Kalen Balaj. They have Kenyon Drake, who I bitched about all season that he needed more carries and more touches. And then Frank Gore could come back, you know, unless Adam Gase was his dude. But nonetheless, you have Kalen Balaj and Kenyon Drake, who both can carry the workload. I mean, Le'Veon Bell is going to be making upwards of, you know, quarterback money. Uh, he's a great player. If he came to the Dolphins, you know, if they somehow had infinite money to spend, like a team like the Jets, where I do think he ends up there with Adam Gase, but that's a conversation for another time. If the Dolphins would land him, I'd be stoked, but there's no way, you know, they should do that. He's a running back. They have good running backs. They've been drafting good at the running back position. Studsville's one of the best running backs coach in the NFL. Hopefully he can stick around, but I would not go after Le'Veon Bell. Use that money elsewhere. If you're truly rebuilding, Le'Veon Bell has no use for this franchise. It just doesn't sit well with me. I don't know. It's like you said, we have Balage, we have Kenyon Drake. We could conceivably sign a, a different veteran running back and, and have some, some modicum of production. I don't think we need a, a $15 million a year running back in our offense, what we're going to be trying to do. I, I'm, I'm just not sure. I just, I, I don't think it's fiscally responsible to spend that much money on a running back. I have kind of come to the dark side and really do see the point that running backs are devalued uh, for a reason. And that's because you can get production from a lot of different places and a committee approach is probably best suited for what we're going to try to do going forward and have versatile running backs that, that can do a, a few different things. Le'Veon Bell with his price tag, I just don't know that it makes sense for us. You know, let me just quick throw out a devil's advocate. I mean, this is for both of you, but you look around the NFL, you see the Ezekiel Elliott's, you know, you see you see those those big-time running backs, Ezekiel Elliott, Saquon Barkley. You know, you got these guys, Todd Gurley. Do you guys not wish that the Dolphins had one of them? I mean, I love Kenny Drake. I love Kalen Balaj, but, I mean, isn't Le'Veon Bell one of those, you know, playmaking running backs who just alter a game? Uh, I know it's a crazy price tag, but do you see him in that same ballpark? And don't you always hope that, you know, this franchise had one of those players? I mean, yes, on one level. And and uh, another thing that I can't resolve is the fact that he's only played with a great offensive line in his whole career. So it's hard to know what he would be like behind a, an average or below average, like 
we would expect the Miami Dolphins offensive line to be. So I don't know how much that would shift him as a player to command the money that he's going to expect. Cause let's remind ourselves that he just sat out an entire year over a contract dispute. So I don't know that, you know, Steven Ross coming out saying we're going to build this the right way and then coming out and shelling out dollars. I think that might make us look two faced. So I'm not, I'm just not sure uh, the opportunity makes sense, but having that type of talent, I mean, it's, it's enjoyable to envision some things that we could do. Yeah. I don't know because like you guys said, on one hand, it's a generational talent that doesn't come around a lot. But on the other hand, it's, you, you think of the Dominican suit, right? He, he made a good impact here in Miami in terms of solid, uh, solidifying that defensive line, the interior. And he did play well, even though it didn't translate to wins and everything else. He gave it his all, and he played really well. It just was overlooked by many because the wins weren't coming in. You look at a guy like Le'Veon Bell, and you say, well, the running back position, you could find running backs all over the place. But can you find one like Le'Veon Bell? And here's where it gets interesting for me. If the Dolphins want to spend the first round picked on a quarterback, why wouldn't you want Le'Veon Bell? Why wouldn't you want Le'Veon Bell for that young quarterback to lean on to have a power running game, to have a change of pace back between you got Le'Veon Bell, you got Kalen Balage. If you keep Kenyon Drake, you got him to mix in there as well. But who wouldn't want that, right? I mean, you could set your offense up very nicely if you take a young quarterback. Get a uh, tighten up your defense as much as possible in year one. Rely on Le'Veon Bell to carry your offense and let that rookie quarterback grow. Am I alone here in thinking that way? That's not that crazy. And if we do get him, we play Pittsburgh next year. So that would be kind of an interesting storyline there. Yeah, I think it'd be smart to do. I mean, it would definitely help that young quarterback kind of transition to the NFL game but let's be honest I think all three of us think it's not going to happen that's not in Miami's best interest and you know it's it's just an agent trying to drive up a price of a player who is hoping to you know cash out this is this is his big chance and he's hoping to make as much money as he possibly can yeah I am sure that the reason why it's being mentioned because of the negotiating ploy and you're right I would be surprised if they signed him but I also don't think it'd be crazy if they signed him either but we'll see how this new management structure really works together and, and what their strategy is as they head into free agency and the draft. Speaking of which, I was trying to make a cool segue there, but I have no cool segue to make, so we're just going to jump right into it. We're going to talk about the overtime in the NFL, and I think the overtime in the NFL is absolutely trash right now. I have thought that way for a while. I just really haven't gotten into the discussion because it's a losing battle. You're never going to convince anyone if they're really strung high on their opinion and Sutton and Houts, I don't know if you're for it or against it, but if, if you're against it, uh, you'll probably agree with me. If you're for it, I probably won't be able to change your mind. It's just one of those hot topics that people really don't budge on. And, and for me, it, the solution is simple. You play another quarter. And if you want to reduce the time in that quarter, maybe 10 minutes, go for it. But you reduce that. Yeah. You play another quarter, you play it out, let it ride. Whoever's the winner at the end of that quarter is the winner of the game. None of this one possession there, one possession here, no possession there. I just think that's old. I think that's dinosaurish, And I think it's time for the NFL to move on and to really get moving in the right direction. My second choice would be college football. That way it's uh, point for point, play for play, do whatever you can 
everyone gets a possession at least, and uh, you just got to match the other team. Sutton, I think you're against it. If you are, tell me why. Well, your first idea, actually, I hadn't thought of before, and that's a really interesting one. That's that's one that I would like to explore more. The college football idea, I think, is just as unfair as the coin toss. And the coin toss, like what what I've seen people say is, well, the whole game was decided by a coin toss. And obviously, that's just reductio ad, ad absurdum, but it's – it's a little over 50% of the time that teams that win the coin toss in overtime end up winning the game. So let's not act like it's an inevitability either. The Chiefs before overtime on six of the 10 drives, the Patriots didn't score a touchdown. So it's not like they weren't able to do it in the game. They just didn't do it. And last time I checked, defensive players get paid to play the game. So you know, they should have made some stops. But anyway, when you compare it to college, it's still controlled by a coin toss, but it just favors the team who wins in the sense that they get to go second. They get to play defense first and then let their offense dictate what happens second. And that favors them in game theory, because if you're that first team and you only get a field goal, well, I know I would like to get a touchdown, I'll automatically win the game. But even if the team first scores a touchdown, they very likely have to go for an extra point because they don't want to go for two, miss, and then just let you kick an extra point to win the game. So they want to make you earn it by kicking the extra point, and then you have to decide if you're going to go for two or not to win that game. But the team that defers and goes second not only gets to choose whether they go for two or not, but they have the benefit of having four downs to work with because they know – their fate that they have to get to so they can go for four downs and the the college team that has to play offense first usually has to play with a three down principle so i think it favors the uh, a coin toss and college also so i think that's a wash to me i think there would have to be something brand new come up with so kanata your that initial idea i think is intriguing because it acknowledges the fact that both systems right now don't really capture fairness. You know, I'd say I'm a little bit indifferent and I'm a little bit upset that the Chiefs fell apart and, you know, that game ended the way it did. But I'm a firm believer, you know, okay, the coin toss. Unless you're Harvey Dent, unless you're Two-Face, I mean, that coin toss is chance. If you, if, if you deserve to be in the Super Bowl, you're going to make a stop there and get at least have – give Pat Mahomes a shot, you know, at winning that game. So I think – the way it is now, I can understand, but for me, I mean, I like the what you're thinking, Kanata, and I do, as much as Sutton said, I do like that college football, the way they, you know, both teams have a chance. The ball's already in the, what's at the 25-yard line. You know what, move back 10 yards in the NFL. We'll start at 35-yard line. Each team gets a chance, and, you know, you see the game play out a lot differently, and you give both teams an opportunity to score a touchdown. I think that's what the biggest gripe is. You know, they drove down the field, they scored a touchdown. Pat Mahomes didn't even get a shot, but – Again, if if you don't want to make let that happen, if you don't want New England to go in there in your home in your home stadium, you know, drive down field and just put the game away and your and your pre your postseason hopes. I mean, uh, that's on the defense. And as an NFL player, as a guy that's getting paid lots of money, you got to make that stop. So I, I don't know. The I, I'm indifferent. You know, I, I like the way it is now. I, I could see it go to a college football format. I, I don't know. I, I'm indifferent. 
I like both your opinions, but that's mine. Do you think this would be as hot of a topic if it wasn't the Patriots that happened to win this game? No. I mean, let's be honest. If no, the Chiefs did it, let everybody be like, yeah, sweet, let's move on yeah. to the Super Bowl. Yeah. They'd love it. We'd be talking about this as much. So let's face it, this really is just everybody kind of pissed about the Patriots winning. I could see that. I could see that. That's you what might, it is. You might sure. be right on that. I don't know. I think the NFL will make changes to that this offseason. I just don't know what kind of changes they will make. The other one is the replay, and we're not going to get into that on this show. We're going to save that for the offseason because that is a whole show to discuss, and we will make sure we discuss it, just not at this time. Because of the replay questions and the overtime questions, the Rams and the Patriots are in the Super Bowl, and you can argue that the Rams and the Patriots should not be in the Super Bowl. If that pass interference is called on the uh, Rams, the Saints win that game, most likely. They do have to kick that field goal to win it, but they most likely will make it because it was basically a chip shot. And you could argue that the Patriots should not be in the Super Bowl either because there was a phantom roughing the passer call on Chris Jones, defensive lineman. D. Ford, uh, God, I got to feel for that guy right now. Just a boneheaded move lining up offsides. Chiefs would have picked that with less than a minute left. Patriots did have all three timeouts left. So who knows if they would have gotten the ball back, but chances are probability says they likely would have lost. But here we are, Rams versus Patriots. The Patriots dynasty started with the St. Louis Rams. The Patriots dynasty, if Brady and Belichick retire, could end with the Los Angeles Rams. How perfect of a storyline would that be? It makes me sick that the Patriots are in the Super Bowl. It makes me sick that we're going to have to listen to a full week of Brady this, Belichick this, how great they are. But then again, we got Brian Flores coming. We got Chad O'Shea coming. So in a sense, I'm feeling good about this as well. I'm just not going to root for the Patriots. Uh, I'm going to be a big Rams fan. But again, if someone, if it leaks out next week that Brady and Belichick are going to retire if they win, I will be the biggest Patriots fan. We're looking forward to this Super Bowl. Always a great event. Always a great game. Hopefully it's as good as the championship games. Sean McVay, Bill Belichick. Going to be coaching their game of their lives. Bill Belichick, no stranger to this. Sean McVay is a bit of a stranger to it. A little cool storyline here. Zach Taylor, the next Bengals coach, offensive coordinator for the Rams, doesn't call the plays, going up against Brian Flores, the next head coach for the Miami Dolphins on the Patriots side. I think that's going to be a cool storyline to watch, and I hope that they do touch on it. Tony Romo, the absolute wizard, will be calling the game with Jim Nance. I am looking forward to that. Houts and Sutton, what are you guys looking forward to the most on Super Bowl Sunday? I think the whole commercial thing's overrated. But just looking at the football game, the Rams are going to have to do better than 23 points in four quarters. They're going to have to get off to a better start because that's where New England gets you. They, they get out to a, a hot start, and then you're playing from behind most of the game. So if the Rams are able to get their run game going, which they were not able to against the Saints, then that opens up the, the run game and play-action passing, which they used to devastating effect. They weren't able to do that against New Orleans, hence the 23 points. Uh, so... The Rams' run defense is going to have to be ready. I would not be surprised to see the exact same game plan that the Patriots unfold, and that's to be heavy on the run. It's going to try to take away Todd Gurley. It's going to force Jared Goff to move outside of the pocket, so you're going to see inside pressure. And hopefully the Rams have something dialed up. Hopefully the evil genius Sean McVay has something 
stewing in his laboratory right now because it would be kind of nice to see Bill Belichick outfoxed. Yeah, and the biggest thing to me there is get Todd Gurley involved. You know, I know he's been banged up, but he has been a ghost lately. C.J. Anderson's been getting a bulk of the carries. The offense looks like an entirely different squad when he's out there, but Todd Gurley, he's probably the best player on that offense. You know, Aaron Donald on defense. Uh, they just got to all be on clicking on all cylinders, you, but you got to get Todd Gurley involved. You got to hope Aaron Donald and Dom Kutsu can take over that that game plan in the trenches there, and they just got to play a perfect game because no matter what New England did throughout the year, you know, when the Super Bowl and the big lights, you know, they play at their best, and it's a scary thing to think of. For me, though, the biggest thing throughout the week, you know, media day. I don't know that I've ever been too into it, but when you look at guys like you guys, Chad O'Shea, you know, you got Brian Flores out there. Are those guys going to talk? I'd imagine they would, and that's something I'm going to be very intrigued in. Brett Bellema, you know, that's a guy who you might come in to look over the the defense and kind of be an added voice in Brian Flores' head. So those are some things I'm looking at throughout media day. But overall, the big game, Super Bowl, commercials are overrated. I'm just excited to see a good game, and hopefully the Rams can pull one off. We're going to have much more on the Super Bowl next week and an in-depth breakdown of the game unless more Dolphins news breaks. But I think we're going to be on the quiet side as the NFL does not like things to get out and overshadow the game so much. So we will see how the week ahead leads us. But no matter what, we will be here with Super Bowl coverage next week and giving you all the latest information and news around the NFL. Brian Flores, next head coach of the Miami Dolphins. Chad O'Shea, offensive coordinator. Patrick Graham, defensive coordinator. Jim Caldwell, associate head coach, offensive senior assistant. Marvin Allen, assistant GM. The Dolphins' future is taking shape. You might as well call us the Miami Patriots. But if we can make this franchise a model of the Patriots, sign me up. Any last thoughts, Thomas and Sign? Go Rams. Yeah, go, go Miami Patriots. All right, that is going to do it for us this week on Finsider Radio. Thank you for listening. For Josh Houts and Aaron Sutton, I am Matt Kanata. We will talk to you next time. That was Finsider Radio, part of the Finsider.com and the SB Nation Network. Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl, because we're the Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Yes, we're the Cause we're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Yes, we're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Everybody, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one.
Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function.